The Fed did exactly what it said it was going to do. Scam bank run fraud was arrested in the Bahamas. And Elizabeth Warren has introduced a full-on assault on Bitcoin and, well, cryptocurrencies in general. But who are we kidding? All that really matters is Bitcoin. That and more on this week's episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. You sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. As I mentioned in the introduction, it has been quite an interesting week. You know, they say normally bear markets are pretty boring as markets tend to go sideways. And while we're told that that's when most of the important work gets done, that's, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, the coding, the heavy lifting, the things that are going to benefit the next bull market. But, you know, things that aren't necessarily that exciting for the average person to uh, talk to. Definitely not. Uh, popcorn material. Uh, but this week was certainly an exception. As we mentioned, scam bank run fraud was arrested in the Bahamas. And uh, more on that later. But first, a look at the vital statistics. Today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. And at the time of this recording, we find ourselves at a block height of 767,442. And Bitcoin is up about $1,000 from last week, currently at $17,860 US dollars per Bitcoin, or 5,599 sats per cuckbuck. As one would expect with an increase in price, Bitcoin's market capitalization is up as well. In fact, it's up about $20 billion to $343.5 billion. And if you value your wealth in gold, it's going to currently cost you 9.6 ounces of the shiny yellow metal rocks to purchase just one Bitcoin. And if you value your wealth in oil, it will cost you 217.77 barrels of oil to purchase just one Bitcoin at a rate of 463,429 sats per barrel. And for those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase 1,058 Papa John's pizzas. We are back above the 1,000 pizza metric, although last week's 996 pizzas was still a heck of a lot of pizza for just one Bitcoin. Uh, unusual for a Wednesday, it seems. The mempool is completely clear. I just double-checked my node. And there's uh, less than one block pending currently, one, less than one block's worth of transactions on uh, my node's mempool. Uh, about 540 kilobytes for the transactions to be exact. So along those lines, one set per byte transactions will clearly clear within a day. In fact, they'll clear immediately if nothing changes. I do show one fee estimator that estimates still a 14 sat per byte fee to be guaranteed in the next block. But um, I just double checked again and the mempool is, you know, the mempool still hasn't, still hasn't filled up. So uh if you're not using replace by fee and you want to guarantee that your transaction on chain is included in the next block, maybe you want to uh, double check that mempool before you send that transaction. But as it currently stands, all transactions should be included basically in the next block. 
And along those lines, my favorite metric, the 24-hour transaction rate, Bitcoin's 24-hour transaction rate is about where it was last week at 3.26 transactions per second. That's a decent amount of activity, but obviously not currently enough to keep the mempool clogged up. And we are currently about 654 blocks away until the next mining difficulty adjustment. And this might have a little bit to do with why the mempool is so empty. You know, we uh, about two weeks ago, we had that, that huge 7.3% difficulty decrease for Bitcoin mining. And now we're looking at um, a significant increase, depending on where you get your data. The next increase is scheduled to be anywhere between 508 to 6.8%. So almost completely making up for the, the almost the entirety of the difficulty decrease two weeks ago. And that's because blocks are currently averaging 9 minutes and 22 seconds. Obviously, they're supposed to average 10 minutes per block. And that's why Bitcoin has that built-in difficulty adjustment. <clears throat> Pardon me. But with blocks zooming in, you know, more than 30 seconds faster than they're supposed to, that would certainly help clear that mempool out. And maybe that's, uh, maybe that's why those transactions are not piling up like they, like they had been the last several episodes. All right, real quick, I want to give a shout out to those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, such as the Fountain app. Uh, if you are not listening already on the Fountain app, apparently you can earn sats by listening to your favorite podcast now, in addition to being able to stream sats to your favorite podcast to support podcasts like ours and the value to value model. Um, we do not have any boosts to read this week, but if you are enjoying a particular podcast, you can tip your favorite podcast or sats in the form of a lightning message. And of course, if you tip this podcast with a boost on the Fountain app and it isn't a shill or anything that we just flat out can't read on, on the air, uh, we will read your boosts on the next episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast. Uh, on to the news. As we mentioned, the Fed did exactly what it said it was going to do today and raised uh, interest rates by half a percent, by 50 basis points. The stock market had rallied in anticipation and then plummeted on the news. Uh, stock market's been acting kind of irrational. They, everybody keeps saying the Fed's going to pivot. And then when, uh, when it doesn't happen every month, we get a speech uh, from the Fed chairman saying that, you know, he's going to stay the course, that it's more important to get this right than it is to, than it is to risk pivoting early. Yet every month when he does exactly what he says he's going to do, markets tank. They had been through the roof this morning, and Bitcoin had soared to as high as 18356 as well before being dragged by the stock market uh, retracement when the Fed announcement officially came out. Uh, speaking of the Fed and its goals, it has been reported that household wealth in the United States is down by $13.5 so far in 2022. According to MarketWatch, the period from January to September of this year has seen the second worst destruction of household wealth on record. Of course, this is on purpose. If you want to dive deeper into it, it's, you could say it's always been the goal of the left to destroy the middle class. That gets back to the, you know, the principles of communism and uh, Marx's Communist Manifesto, where he believes that life is basically dictated by, by class struggle. And of course, you have to get rid of the middle class in order for people to realize their quote-unquote true class so that the, the poor will struggle against the rich, etc. If everybody's happy in the middle, well, we can't have that because we won't achieve communism's utopia, right? <clears throat> and one of the ways that Karl Marx proposed to destroy the middle class was 
through his fifth pillar in his Communist Manifesto, which is the establishment of a central bank. Uh, and it is clearly our central bank's goal to destroy household wealth because, well, that's what they said they want to do. Not specifically household wealth, but they want to taper off the economy. They want to put people out of work. And putting people out of work certainly erodes household wealth. Uh, and, of course, this is all a big fugazi anyway because, as you know, the reason that we have inflation is because they doubled the amount of money circulating. And, of course, a simple cursory glance at the, pr the principles of supply and demand would show you that, you know, if you have more money chasing the same amount of goods, the, the value of those goods in relationship to that money uh, is going to, well, those, those goods are going to appear to have gotten more expensive, but they really didn't. You know, if you look at your groceries in your local grocery store, in U.S. dollar terms, they've gone through the roof. I was just shopping the other day and I noticed that a, 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 12, a carton of 12 large store brand eggs was $6.15. That's more than triple one year ago. I pulled out receipts, in fact, to compare, and it was less than $2 for a carton of eggs in uh, November of uh, 2021. And of course, the inflation numbers that just came out this week showing the cooling inflation um, say that we've experienced 7.1% year-over-year CPI. And obviously, we, know, we all know the CPI is a heavily massaged number. <clears throat> Pardon me again, but going from $2, less than $2, to more than $6, that's triple. That's a 300%, more than a 300% increase, not a 7.1% increase year-over-year. Of course, if you're doing your own shopping, it is absolutely no surprise to you. And nobody honestly believes those CPI numbers anyway. In fact, I don't think the normies, the 80%ers, even really pay attention to it. Most people just pay attention to what's happening to their budgets. And of course, uh, their budgets are being uh, decimated. You know, the again, the Fed's goal is to put some of you out of work, which will make it impossible for you to purchase groceries. But for those of you who are lucky enough to continue to have jobs, even when they eventually achieve their goal, uh, it takes more and more of your money to purchase just your basic necessities every day. And of course, one of the games they play with CPI is they, uh, they do these hedonic adjustments. And I'm sure you're familiar with it, but basically for those who are not, a hedonic adjustment says, well, last month you, and Safety in a Moose does a fantastic job explaining this in the Bitcoin standard. And I think there's a video version of this as well on YouTube out there somewhere where he explains hedonic adjustments. And he says, for example, if last year, if you went out grocery shopping and you bought a steak and that steak cost $100, um, that was the basis for last year's inflation metric. But um, if you go to the grocery store this year and you, and you can't purchase that steak because now that steak is $700 and, that, and that's you know seven times more expensive than it was last year, but you say, oh, well, I'm going to buy $100 with the ground beef instead of steak. Well, they make that hedonic adjustment. Say you still spent $100 on meat and therefore there was no inflation. And, uh, and then their core inflation, they strip out the volatile food and energy because the number they really want, they want to knock food and energy out of the mix because, hey, what are the two things you absolutely have to purchase every month? Your food and your electric, right? So, you know, it seems silly to strip out the two most important parts of every American family's budget from their adjustment. But again, it's all a fugazi anyway. It's all a lie. It's all a big cover. It's a big dog and pony show, so to speak, to cover up for the fact that they torpedoed the value of the U.S. dollar by doubling the amount of dollars in circulation. And speaking of scams, as everybody knows by now, Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested in the Bahamas on Monday night. Uh, he spent one day in jail in what is being billed as the worst jail in the Bahamas. 
and they're making it sound like it's one of the worst third world jails in the world, although I have a really hard time believing that. Uh, it's probably no club fed, you know, like the, the cushy federal prisons in the United States that don't even have walls where they send most of our white collar prisoners to play tennis and garden, you know, for their sentences instead of breaking rocks and toiling away like uh, they do in these absolute hell holes. Uh, but he did have a bail hearing and he was denied bail, despite the fact his attorney proposed a $250,000 cash bail, uh, which would have been completely laughable um, because we know that, well, he's got $200 million worth of bohemian real estate that he controls. Um, and there's some news about that in the bankruptcy filings as well. Apparently, there's some motions out there to exclude that $200 million in luxury property from the bankruptcy bankruptcy proceedings. Um We'll see what happens with that. The Bahamas are trying to squash the bankruptcy proceedings in the United States completely, or at least parts of it, stating basically their law prohibits a Bahami, Bahamian entity from uh, being liquidated in a foreign country. Uh, that's, a, that's something that's going to take years to play out. Obviously, we still haven't seen the end of the Mount Gox exchange collapse, and that was almost 10 years ago. So uh, I don't expect this to be sorted out anytime soon. You know, and by the time it does, what was the price of Bitcoin when Mt. Gox collapsed? You know, um, if Bitcoin is worth as much by the time we're speculating or we're speculating about coins maybe being released or settlements being released from the uh, from the FTX bankruptcy, if Bitcoin is appreciated as much as it has between when Mt. Gox filed for bankruptcy and today, I don't think we'll be really paying much attention to FTX other than as a... Uh, an illustry note, a cursory note, a lesson that we teach people about the value of not your keys, not your coin, the value of self-custody. But back to SBF, uh, he was denied bail and his attorney did say that they will be fighting extradition, basically saying that they, you know, the typical legal mumble jumbo, they want to uh, study the charges against him and evaluate their legal options before proceeding. But basically he's refused to waive his right to extradition and he's going to be in that jail in the Bahamas until I believe February 8th. So another almost two months in his cage in the Bahamas before the next hearing. And uh, it'll probably be years before this ever goes to trial, uh, if he even gets extradited in the United States. And speaking of trial, once SBF had been arrested, attention kind of turned to his partner in crime and former ex-girlfriend, Carolyn Ellison. You know, she was the CEO of Alameda, the hedge fund, SBF's hedge fund that he was siphoning FTX funds to. Obviously, it would seem to reason, stand to reason, that if he's stealing money from FTX to benefit uh, Alameda, there's some criminal liability there for the people at Alameda as well. Carolyn was spotted in a coffee shop in New York this week, uh, sipping her favorite latte, and that has led to a lot of speculation, like, did she show up in New York, coincidentally, right before SBF was arrested because she's cooperating with prosecutors? Uh, you know... Last week at this time, there was a lot of people, a lot of a lot of speculation that SBF was never going to be arrested, that his ties to Gary Gensler and his political ties to Maxine Waters, all the money he donated to candidates would prevent his arrest, that he'd be protected. And I I said flat out that he was I thought he was going to be arrested, that these things take time. I have some experience in this in this regard, uh, in in criminal prosecutions and not on a federal or a uh, or a financial level, but in general, getting charges filed and 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 seeing cases prosecuted 
is something I have some experience in, and I know that they can take time. They, in fact, they should take time. If, a, if an investigator, if an agency is doing its proper job, it's not going to rush uh, to bring charges against somebody. Because once you charge somebody, because they have a right to a speedy trial in this country, uh, you better have your case ready to go because they can demand a speedy trial. And if you're not ready, uh, then you're going to lose. The state's not going to be able to prove its case and they're going to look stupid and the bad guys are going to get off scot-free, right? So a good investigator, a good agency, a non-corrupt agency takes its time and it builds a case properly before it submits it. And so I was confident that that's what we were seeing. Until proven otherwise, I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this. But if there was anybody they, they might be protecting, uh, that would be, in my humble opinion, Carolyn Ellison, because if you remember, she's the daughter of Gary Gensler's former colleague at MIT. So there's a Gary Gensler, Carrie Ellison nexus here, and one of the ways they could protect her is by offering her a plea. Maybe not even a plea, but flat-out immunity for testifying against SBF, and, and they could they could very easily present that as reasonable, right? Because if she's their star witness, it would make sense to offer her a sweetheart deal. So... Speculation now turns to Carolyn Ellison, whether she'll be arrested or whether or not she's being protected. The indictment against SBF listed others, named and unnamed. And uh, they did make statements saying that they were going to go after additional entities. In fact, the SEC, one of the biggest things for me to come out of the, the indictment and SBF's arrest is the charges of securities fraud. Because you can't charge somebody with securities fraud if you're not going to assert that what they're dealing in is a security. So with the SEC bringing civil action and the criminal action uh, being brought against SBF for securities fraud, that would seem to indicate that hammer is about to drop, that they're going to call all these S-coins securities, which is going to have some knock-on effects because if they flat out say we're going to enforce the law and we believe under the law and the Howey's test that everything other than Bitcoin is a security, as they've stated in the past, that Bitcoin is the only uh, cryptocurrency, quote-unquote, the only digital asset out there that is a commodity, not a currency. Every single other coin uh, as, a as a security is unregistered. There are no registered S-coins out there. So they're all unregistered securities, and that means it's illegal for exchanges to sell them because they're now dealing in unregistered securities. And one of the things they said is that the shoe is going to drop, that they're going to pursue other entities, some speculation has been that that means they're going to go after Binance. But once they set that precedent that they're going to go after an exchange, you know, even if Binance is the one they go after, every exchange is on notice that you're breaking the law. So this could have some wide-ranging effects for your favorite S-coin. Uh, if every coin other than Bitcoin is an unregistered security, that means it's illegal for Coinbase to list them and trade them. It's illegal for Gemini. It's illegal for every United States-based exchange or every exchange, regardless of where they're based, that's dealing with U.S. customers. And it has been established that the SEC and the uh, Southern District of New York, etc., consider that you're dealing in unregistered securities or illegally with U.S. citizens, even if they're trying to hide that they're in the United States with a VPN. So um, I think that's where the real effect is going to be felt from this SBF arrest. I don't think anyone's getting their money back. If they do, it's going to be a pittance. If they do, by the time they get it back, Bitcoin will be so valuable they won't even care because they're going to get, just like Mt. Gox, you know, there's no Bitcoin to claw back, allegedly, with FTX anyway. But even if they do uh, get anything back, just like Mt. Gox, they're probably going to get U.S. dollars, not not currencies, not crypto back. So um, you'll get your 
$1.45 or whatever back in the bankruptcy settlement after all the attorney's fees have been properly deducted and you won't care because the Bitcoin that you've accumulated since or that you were smart enough not to have an exchange will be worth so much more that we're talking a pittance. And speaking of frauds, <clears throat> the other big news this week dropping just today is that, of course, America's, <clears throat> pardon me, most one of America's most notorious professional liars and political grifters, none other than Pocahontas herself, Elizabeth Warren, has introduced the Digital Asset Money Laundering Act. And this wide-ranging power grab has been called by Coin Center, quote, an opportunistic, unconstitutional assault on cryptocurrency, self-custody developers, and node operators. Continuing nothing about the bill would prevent the FTX, next FTX. In fact, it puts users at more risk. The Pocahontas reference is a throwback from the Trump presidency. If you weren't in the United States or paying attention to our election cycle, Donald Trump religi uh, religious, repeatedly and religiously made fun of Elizabeth Warren, mocking her, referring to her as, as Pocahontas. And that was because uh, she got to where she is in, in life, not in any small part by pretending she was a Native American. Uh, she even has a Native American cookbook out there. Of course, she is not a Native American. Laughingly, during the election, she tried to set that to rest by taking a DNA test to prove how much Native American DNA she had. And the amount was so little that if you're some random individual in a uh, in tribal sub-Saharan Africa living, you know, in a town without electricity and you've never been, you've never left your, you've never left your town, you don't know anybody that's been to the United States, you would still have at least as much or more Native American DNA markers than Elizabeth Warren does. So, so that's where, that's where the nickname Pocahontas comes from if you're not familiar with it or if, if you're offended by it. Uh, you should know that if you are offended by such things, you should be offended by the fact that Elizabeth Warren has used faking being a Native American to drive herself to power to the point where she has even run for president of the United States. And she's only where she is because she took jobs that were reserved for Native Americans, including her professorship at Harvard. All right, so... There's a lot of speculation out there online because this is such a new bombshell that people are running around with their hair on fire saying that this would be horrible, that this is the then they fight you stage of, uh, of, the, of the war on Bitcoin, of the, of the, you know, the, the uh, seven stages of grief kind of thing. Um, however, for every post on Twitter or Reddit that you see saying how horrible this is, you'll see nine more posts saying, well, this has zero chance of passing. And that's probably true because uh, the chances of getting them of them getting this through before the Christmas break and before the Republicans take control of the House would be nothing short of miraculous. And the Democratic Party in the United States has many, many more pet projects that they want to try and ram through before they lose control of half of our uh, half of our legislative branch. And so this probably will not. Um, take effect, but what it should do is put you on notice that this is exactly how these people feel, that they are coming for you, just like with any contentious issue in the United States. Let's go out on the, let's go out there and let's talk about you know the Second Amendment and you know the gun control legislation, because the same the same exact uh, language is being used about this bill. Elizabeth Warren uh, came out and proposed this as quote common sense legislation, just like they say common sense gun control. But like gun control, how long have the how, how long have uh, Democrats in the United States been trying to trying to whittle away at the Second Amendment? Like my entire life, decades, decades at least, right? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The lesson being 
uh, that they come after whatever their target is and they don't go away. They keep coming at you. They keep coming at you. They're like that. They're like a zombie in one of those horror movies. They're like, you know, Jason in the, in the horror movies, you know, just when you think they're knocked down they pop right back up and they're still coming at you and they're not coming fast, but they keep coming. Uh, and that is a common political tactic. It's certainly a common tactic of the Liz of Elizabeth Warren and the left. So even if this bill, even if this so-called act has zero chance of being passed into law, be put on notice. This is what they, they want to achieve. This is their goal. They're showing it to you. It is out in the open. They're not shy of it. This is their goal. And if we defeat them now, uh, even if it's just pure the coincidence, the clock running out on their on their, their control of the House of Representatives, they will come back. This is their goal. This is this is what they're gonna keep hammering on. This is what they're gonna keep this is what they're gonna keep thrusting in our faces until they get some little piece of it. And you can never compromise with these people because as with anything else, if you compromise and give them a little piece of what they're looking for, you know, can we have a, what do they say? Can we have a common, common sense, that phrase again, but a common sense dialogue, a conversation, a national conversation on what's best for the children. Um, anytime you have that conversation, you're always the one that's giving something up. They're never giving something up. The only thing they might give up is they say, well, we want to make it illegal for you to transfer Bitcoin out of an exchange and we'll, we'll waive everything else. And, and you might think of that as a win, but it's not because they've just gotten a huge win and they're going to come back in the next legislative session or maybe even two years from now, maybe even another presidency from now, and they're going to try again. And that is not a tactic that's unique to the Democrats. It's unique to multiple parties. It's just the Democrat Party and the left in the United States seems to be the best at staying on message and keeping focused and ramming stuff through. Uh, in fact, that's something even Republicans lament is that they're not as good at doing this as the Democrats are, and they admire it. They're not; they're, they admire that as a you know as a tactic, as um, as a strategy, uh, as a principle, as a guiding principle. It's something they they admire. It's something to be looked up to as far as most slimy politicians are concerned, whether you're on the right or the left. My point is that the war has definitely started. The gloves are off, and be prepared for more of this because this is how they're going to come at you. And not to toot my own horn, but last week I had railed on this specifically, that when they do come after us, how they're going to come after us is not by trying to ban Bitcoin, not by trying to ban cryptocurrency, but by making it as big a pain in the butt to use as possible. Everything in this is right there. They're going to make it a pain in the butt to self-custody, if not illegal. They're going to make it a pain in the butt to be a developer because you're going to have to register, you know, as a financial agent or as a you know, as a bank, basically. And even for note operators, that Raspberry Pi you have in your closet or on your desk, you know, they're going to have to register as a financial institution to run that node. And so they're not making it illegal to run a node. They're just making it impossible because there's no way you're going to be registered as a bank as an average Joe if you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars and a team of lawyers to help you with compliance just to get registered, let alone stay registered. So this is exactly what I said they were going to do. Their tactic isn't to ban it because we all know they can't ban it. Their tactic is to make it impossible to use, uh, and that is something that they can try to do. Uh, and and this is this is this would certainly do that. All right, moving on. Jack Dorsey had a really interesting blog post yesterday, uh, talking about what he believes led to Twitter's downfall, responding to the Twitter files after Elon Musk's Twitter takeover. In his blog post, he listed three guiding principles for social media, without necessarily getting into his guiding principles. He went on to say, quote, the Twitter when I let it and the Twitter of today do not meet the, any of these principles. He said, this is my fault. 
oh, this is my fault alone, as I completely gave up pushing for them when an activist entered our stock in 2020. What is he talking about? Well, it's been widely reported that he is referring to Elliott Management, the $55 billion hedge fund that tried to oust him from Twitter after they took a $387 million stake in the company in 2020. This is precisely how the go woke, go broke phenomena entrenched themselves in so many huge companies. These huge hedge funds invest in large stakes of money into, large, into these companies and they demand a seat on the board and they demand changes be made to corporate governance. But the sick and twisted thing about it is they're not using their money to do it. Just like the not your keys, not your coins with stock. If you have your stock or your, if you have your investment, if you have your retirement plan with, you know, Fidelity, with Vanguard, with BlackRock, with whoever, with whatever fund, you just like Bitcoin on an exchange, you have an IOU for that stock. They own the stock. Now there are there are ways with through proxy, et cetera, that you get to that you can that you can theoretically vote your shares, but basically the way it works out is they control those shares. Chances of you responding to your proxy and voting your shares are pretty slim to none. Most people, if they even get those proxies, mark, you know, vote for me basically. Uh, and they do. And they demand they demand they've demanded these insane changes to all these huge companies all these huge companies obviously we've seen these companies go broke for going woke so it obviously was not in their best business interest to to uh you know to go from say making widgets to worrying about whichever equality issue they is de jour you know the thing to care for today whatever ribbon of the day you should be wearing it has nothing to do with widgets and Maybe it has a little bit more to do with Twitter because, you know, it's about speech and it's, well, we think it should be about free speech. They clearly didn't think it should be about free speech. And if you want to manipulate and mold speech, uh, you would manipulate and mold it into the ideology that you support, obviously. So, um, but in general, large American companies are doing, uh, they're spending more time worrying about the cause of the day, the cause du jour than they are worrying about their bottom line. Hence the go broke, go woke, go woke, go broke phenomena. And, uh, and that is exactly apparently what happened to Twitter. All right, back to why we're here. And that is because, as I said, today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. And that means it is DCA Wednesday. For those of you who don't know what DCA Wednesday is, DCA Wednesday, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. We established our regular interval as every Wednesday, and we established our equal portion as $20. The reason we chose $20 is because it's a relatively small amount. Many of you out there could afford and do choose to DCA more than $20, some of you significantly more than $20. But I wanted to show that even as little as $20 can add up over the long term, and dollar cost averaging and Bitcoin investing in general are both long-term plays. So, for example, this is going to be our 73rd stack. We started on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. So far, we've stacked 72 times. And at $20 a whack, that has been a total of $1,440, uh, including some $32.40 in fees. And that has built us a stack of 4,640,579 sats at an average cost basis of $31,030.61. Obviously, that is significantly less than the current price of Bitcoin. But as I said, dollar cost averaging is a long-term strategy. One of the things about DCA is you buy the lows, but you also buy the highs. We, of course, started this 
DCA journey in July of 2021. And that was between the, the that was the dip between the two peaks of the all-time high of this bull run. Obviously, we had set an all-time high in uh, in in the spring of 2021, and then it dipped down uh, in the summer, and then before rallying in November to that $69,000 all-time high. But that means that we bought on the way up. So um, if you were to look at DCA as um, as to whether DCA was a solid investment play, well, there'd be two ways to look at it right now. For example, um, we are underwater from our average cost basis, but if you had YOLO'd all in on uh, July 28th, 2021, uh, you would actually be worse off than you are right now. You'd have fewer sets. Uh, I believe I did those numbers a couple of weeks ago, and while we've purchased Bitcoin twice since then, uh, we would still have over a million less sats had we YOLO'd in than we do now. So so that's a win for DCA as far as that's concerned. Um, and as far as the average cost basis goes, well, we're not trying to time the market here, but if you look at a timing perspective starting at the peak of the bull run, does... Uh, does bias our stack in the in the fact that it is underwater because we started purchasing uh, when it was really expensive. But the flip side is we've also purchased all the way down. So we also purchased the not the all time low, but the cycle low. Um, you know, we purchased as high as what sixty four thousand ish, and our our least expensive purchase, I believe, was about. 16,400. We didn't get any of that $15,000 Bitcoin, but we purchased as low as 16,469. And we've been chiseling away at that average cost basis every week. Um, For example, in September, uh, we knocked $1,923 off our our average cost basis. And then uh, in November, we knocked $1,932 off our average cost basis. And so far this month, uh, we've knocked, well, we've only had one purchase, but we've knocked $355 off of our average cost basis. And we're on track to knock off, um, you know, if we continue averaging, say, $300 a month or $300 a week off of our average cost basis, we're on track to knock off another $1,200 of that average cost basis, which would put us, you know, in the $29,500 range, which is still more than Bitcoin's worth. But again, um, that's a that's a sidetrack. That's that's something we shouldn't even be concentrating on because the idea here is to build a stack, and that um, that you shouldn't be thinking about what the what the day to day cost is. You should be thinking about how many sats you have. One day when Bitcoin is a million dollars a coin or whatever it runs to, your average cost basis, as long as it's uh, less than that, means you're ahead of the game. So, as usual, to do our daily stack, uh, we you're going to use the Cash App. Uh, Cash App is not a sponsor of this show. We do have a referral code in the show notes, but everyone who has a Cash App account has a referral link. If you do not have Cash App and you decide you would like to use Cash App, though, if you click on that link to sign up, you'll get five bucks free just for signing up, and the show will get five bucks free as well. So that's a way to support the show without actually costing you any money. In fact, you'll get paid to support the show. Uh, again, that um, we are not important enough to have a custom referral code. It's basically alphabet soup. Uh, so if you do want to sign up using our referral code, please scroll down to the notes and click on that link. All right, so I have my Cash App open. I've already added 20 bucks. I normally don't keep any money on Cash App, but while I was yabbering, I added that $20. Part of the reason I like Cash App so much is that they'll let me spend that $20 right away. And more importantly, they'll let me transfer that $20 in Bitcoin to our hardware wallet immediately without making me wait. That's one thing that a lot of other exchanges and apps will not let you do. Again, do your own research. Pick an app that's best for you, that suits your needs, and uh, you do you. But we're using Cash App, 
and we're going to tap buy Bitcoin. And we're going to tap $20. And tap confirm. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 109,675 sats. Uh, that is not as many as the 116,000 sats we purchased last week, but still over 100,000 sats. And considering at our peak at Bitcoin's all-time high, or at least as close as we got, uh, we only got 29,600 sats. So more than three times more sats than we got when Bitcoin, when we, when Bitcoin was setting an all-time high. And that is going to bring our total stack up to 4,750,254 sats. And perhaps more importantly, lower that average cost basis down by another $295.41. So just in the first two weeks of December, we've knocked uh, basically sorry, $650 off of that average cost basis. If we do that again, uh, Bitcoin will, our average cost basis for the Bitcoin we've accrued will be hopefully dipping below the, the $30,000 mark. Uh, hopefully Bitcoin will keep running sideways long enough for us to do that. But if it doesn't, either way, we've, we've already grown our stack to 4.75 million sats. And for example, if Bitcoin does hit that million dollar moon one day, well, that's $47,500 worth of Bitcoin in US dollar terms. So uh, I think that would be hard to say that that was not a heck of a return, especially just investing $20 a week. All right, um, that's basically all I had on the list to talk about for this week. Uh, one thing I did want to close on, kind of a final thought, is uh, every bull run, the every this time it's different mentality uh, of each bull run kicks in and people start talking about the importance of institutional investors, that it's institutional money that's going to take us to the moon. It's the institutional FOMO that's going to drive Bitcoin to the super cycle, to hyper-Bitcoinization. But institutional investment is messy because what we're seeing right now, this is institutional investment. What we've gotten, the FTX scam, the GBTC thing, the Tether FUD, all of this is institutional players playing institutional investor games. You get both the good and the bad, whether it's Michael Saylor basically trying to corner the market, so to speak, and purchase as many Bitcoin as he can, or whether it's the DeFi schemes, taking GBTC and playing arbitrage games. Uh, leading to the, the the huge DeFi sector that that collapsed and helped bring Bitcoin down to that uh, historic all time low. It's not an all time. Not sorry, not all time low, but the first time that Bitcoin has gone below its previous bear, its previous bull market high. You know that we, if you were to if you were to look at history and say that history should rhyme, then theoretically Bitcoin shouldn't have dropped down below eighteen thousand or so. Um, but hey, like they say, every time this time's different, right? So, but it was playing. It was in, it was institutional money, institutional investors playing Wall Street games, playing big money games, playing banking games uh, that caused the DeFi blow up. And uh, so, yeah, this time is different. But um, in general, we're still, you know, we still we still saw what we expected. We saw uh, the previous Bitcoin bull market. Uh, Bitcoin went sideways for about a year and then slowly started climbing up to the halving. Then, of course, we had the dip when we had the lockdowns. But uh, with that being the Black Swan event and, and, and quickly recovering, we saw that it continued on a, a gentle upward slope to the halving. And then every halving cycle, about six months six months to a year after the halving, we've seen Bitcoin set a new all-time high. And uh, that has continued. And there's no reason to believe that won't continue to continue. <laughs> every day Bitcoin continues without dying is 
one day older and one day stronger for Bitcoin. And I think slugging it out and having a crypto winner, having a bear market, having all the blood and all the all the the uh, all the Bitcoin obituaries, everybody thinking that that's it this time. Bitcoin's finally dead, with Elizabeth Warren coming after Bitcoin, etc. Two or three years from now, when we find ourselves uh, in the bull market from the 2024 halving cycle, uh, it will be in large part because people will have looked around and said, "Hey, I thought Bitcoin was supposed to be dead." So you know, the, it's the whole that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger thing, and that is doubly true for Bitcoin. So that's kind of my closing thought. Before I go, I'd like to say, please follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. Uh, and please let us know what you think, whether you send us a DM in, on Twitter or whether you uh, respond to any of our posts or the post I'm getting ready to send out about this episode. I really do want to hear what you have to say. Of course, it would be awesome if you say that in the form of a boost on your favorite Podcasting 2.0 app. And again, if you do boost us, if you do send us a boostergram, uh, we will read it on the next on the next episode is providing you aren't, you know, sending us a commercial or something that's going to get us banned. If you don't have Twitter and you would like to reach out to us, another way you can do so is by email. And my, my email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. So the Twitter is at btcbulletinpod and the email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Until then, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday as we continue to add to our stack on our dollar cost average Wednesday series. But until then... Keep on stacking those sets, you sexy sat stackers.